in us, Lord Jesus. We praise and magnify and glorify you, Lord Jesus. Lord, you are the vine and we are the branches today. Lord, without you, we can do nothing today, Lord Jesus. Oh, my God, my God, my God, have your way, have your way. Have your way, Jesus, have your way, Jesus, have your way, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. If we just approach him with that attitude of have your way, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done, he can do uh, great things in our life. And uh, and I'm just so thankful that I have allowed the Lord for the last almost 30 years to have his way in my life. And some people back home might have said I was blinded by the light. <laughs> You got to be blinded by the light if you're moving up there. Well, praise God. When he said to, when he said go to Wisconsin and you'll serve me there, I just said okay. And uh, part of me wanted to question it. Anybody would have. You out of your mind? That's what some of them said. But I said it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. If I did what I want, none of y'all would have ever met me. Seriously. But it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. Amen. And my my desire is to please him. Amen. I just, you know, when I was growing up, I just wanted to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you. Son, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you've done. I'm proud of you. You know, I didn't want to hear him getting on my case all the time. He did enough of that. I probably brought it on, but. Amen. I want my heavenly father to say, I want him to be proud of me. I want him to be pleased with my life. Amen. And um, Sister Sue, you were talking about prayer, and I couldn't help but think of this little thing I heard somebody say that says seven days without prayer makes one week. W-E-A-K and W-E-E-K. Amen. So, you know, (laughs) you get married to somebody and can you imagine if Sister Parker said, I'll spend Wednesday evenings with you and Sunday morning and afternoon with you, and the rest of the week, just remember that I'll be back on Wednesday, right? How would He He wouldn't be happy with that. Or vice versa, if you said, I'll, I'll come and visit with you on certain days, certain hours of the week, but the rest of the time is mine. We wouldn't We wouldn't abide with that, would we? Or if you were a parent and told your kid that, they'd be like, did I do something wrong? So God doesn't want us just here and there now and then, does he? Amen. Who who likes having fair weather friends? I'm not getting any volunteers. Amen. Fair weather friends are not friends, really, are they? They're barely acquaintances. Amen. But I want the Lord to know that he has my undivided attention. Best I can give it to him. He knows I got to go to work and think about stuff at work and focus on my job. But I want him to know that he has my undivided attention. Amen. I want to hear him when he speaks to me. Amen. I heard one man of God say that the longer you walk with God, that still small voice gets quieter and quieter. It might sound like a yell at first, 
But over time, as you draw closer to him, that voice gets quieter and quieter because he wants you to really listen. So I just feel like the Lord wants us to listen today because he's got something to say. How many believes that? Amen. This isn't Brother Demuth. This is God. I'm just his vessel. Amen. I'm just his conduit. I just want it just whatever he's got to say, I want I want us to be listening. You know? Cuz he's been telling me some stuff. <laughs> and uh and I want to know that's his voice. Amen. I want to know that that's his voice telling me that what thus saith the Lord. Amen. How many wants to hear from the Lord today? Amen. Amen. God is going to do it. He's going to speak to you if you come ready. And willing and able to hear, God's going to speak to you today. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 9. This chapter was already referenced once today. Praise God. We're going to talk a little bit about Paul and a few other people in the Bible. And and uh, we're just going to see what the Lord has to say to us today. So, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Going through verse 9, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he might find, that he, that if he found any of this way, everybody say this way, whether they are men or women, he might bring them abound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard the voice, uh, uh, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. First of all, that would have freaked me out. The voice, I can't see anything, and the voice is calling my name. So the voice knew who he was. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Isn't that what they said in the book of Acts chapter 2? When Peter got done preaching, they asked that same question. What must we do? Now that we know, now that we feel the conviction of God, what do we do with this information? What, what do we do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth and went his way, and with his, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight. Neither did he eat or drink. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your word that is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword that's able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit of the joints of the marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts today. Father, speak to us today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated today. Amen. I was sitting there meditating on, on, on this message, uh, the other day and, and it had to be God spoke, it was God spoke this to me and it had to be God because I would have never thought of this word uh, ever. 
And the, the word is obsequious. Anybody ever heard of that word? Anybody ever heard that word? Me either. I said, obsequious? Is that a word? Obsequious. So I said, okay, fine. So I grabbed my phone and picked it up, and I did a Google search for obsequious. I didn't even know how to spell it. And I found it. And it said it's an adjective, and it's characterized by or showing servile complacence or deference, fawning, servilely compliant or deferential, obedient, dutiful. And I said, okay, God. And that I think he was trying to tell me that's what happened to Paul in this story. You see, Paul, he was... He was a man raised, you, you might be, you might actually say he was raised in church, okay? He was raised around the Jewish synagogues. He was raised uh, to have the best education. He sat under a man named Gamaliel, who was apparently a, a doctor, would be considered like a, a Ph.D. doctor, maybe a professor in a university. And so he sat at the feet of this man, the Bible said, as he came up as a young man in this Jewish religion. And, and so he, he was not stupid. He was not an idiot. And he had, this man Paul, Saul, had zeal. Everybody understands what zeal is. They, they were, he was excited about being Jewish. He was excited about the truths of the Old Testament scriptures. He was excited so so much so, he believed this stuff so strongly that he felt like anybody else that didn't believe the way he did was absolutely wrong. And he was out to get them out of the way. He didn't want anybody messing this thing up. And these people that were followers of Jesus were messing things up. Matter of fact, this Jesus, that's all he did was challenge and question the religious Jews. And Paul had to know this. I would say he was probably a younger man. So you don't read or hear about him very much. But he did sit under the feet of this one man named Gamaliel, who was apparently very wise. And, and, and matter of fact, Gamaliel, in the book of chap, uh, the, the chapter of uh, Acts, verse 5, Peter and, and all these disciples of Jesus are standing before the, I guess maybe it was the Sanhedrin, all the Jewish leaders, and, and they were about to do some bad stuff to these Christians, right? And, and maybe this is where Paul got, got kind of this mindset and this attitude, but, but this man Gamaliel was there. And he, he said, he told his buddies, you know, cause he was on the Jewish religious side of things and he told his buddies he said hey could you set those guys over a little ways off so they can't hear what we're talking about for a minute so they did that so he kind of took them over here in a corner and he said oh guys this guy this you don't want to mess with these people because if they're found to be of god you and he told them a story about a couple of people that had tried to mess with these people before and what happened to them don't be messing with these guys because if it's of god you're going to wish you hadn't but if it's not of God, it'll come to naught. So I, so here's Gamaliel telling these guys, you know, be careful. Don't be messing with God's business because these people just might be doing God's business. So, and I read that and I thought, wait a minute. Saul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. So that means Gamaliel had to have told Saul 
be careful. Well, Saul didn't listen, apparently. You know, and and I just don't believe that just one day God just woke up and said, you know what, I think I'm going to go get Saul and use him for my glory. He didn't do that. He didn't just wake up one day and say, who do I want to mess with today? Who do I want to call today? Let me, hmm, let me see. I'll draw straws. No, he didn't do that. I believe that God, all this time, God had been trying to get a hold of Saul. Has anybody known anybody, maybe yourself, where you you know that as you look back over your life, you 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 can look back and see, man, God's been trying to get a hold of me for a while. I just haven't been listening. Right? And so I just believe that God had been trying through very subtle ways to just kind of draw Paul in and, and draw him away because there was other scribes and Pharisees that believed this way. So he, this this wasn't a new thing. There weren't many of them, but there were some of them that really, that, that God got a hold of them through the preaching and teaching of Jesus. Matter of fact, the one guy that went and buried him, collected his body up, he was one of them. That's right. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and all those guys. So it wasn't impossible to expect that there were some Jewish religious people that didn't really follow that way anymore. They saw it a little differently. They believed what Jesus said. So I believe even up to Gamaliel, God was trying to get a hold of Paul. And Paul was just like having none of it. So he was breathing out threatenings and he was just, he was so zealous for this way that he was going to take them all and kill them, women and men and children. It didn't matter. And so God got to the place where he said, well, this is just me speculating. I know this is not in the book. If you want to pull my coattail and set me down, that's okay. But I'm just going to speculate here, okay? It doesn't say this, but I just think God said he's not listening. So I'm going to use some tactics that will get his attention. Amen? Anybody ever felt that way? God, something that happened in your life where you, after the fact you said, yeah, I think God's trying to get my attention. And so what did God do? He just shined a bright light and made him fall down on the ground and spoke to him out of nowhere. And Paul, being the devout Jew that he was, he he respected and he knew that the prophets had heard the voice of God and they never saw God, but they had heard the voice of God. So in his Jewish mind, he was thinking, okay, this is God. So obviously, I'm going to fall to the ground and see what he has to say. And what did he, what, what was the answer when he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. And all of a sudden, Paul's life changed from that moment on. He basically had a blank slate from then on. Everything that he had believed, everything that he had stood for, everything that he had held dear was suddenly challenged, all of it. It just meant nothing. And so he gets up, and and all this time he's got his eyes closed, so he opens his eyes, and he can't see. Excuse me. And so the Lord had struck him with blindness. Now, isn't that the case in the life of a lot of people before they come to God? Amen? 
Acts 26 and uh, 14, I believe it is. I'm sorry, I didn't give you this one. Acts 26 and 14. Paul, you know, Paul's retelling his story for the third time. He did it in Acts 22, and then he told it again here. And, you know, you never tell the story, same, the story of what happened the same way twice. You don't. That's why the police, when they, when they have a, a, a person of interest that they want to question, they don't just question them once, they bring them in several times. Why? Because if they're, if there's, if it's a scripted thing, They'll repeat it exactly the same every time. And they'll, they'll catch that. So they know you're going to tell the story a little bit different. They just want to see if, if all the facts kind of flow together. So, so here's Paul telling the story. He said, when I, and when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Paul, you're having a hard time pushing back against this thing. You're, you're fighting against the very thing that I'm trying to get you to follow. You're having a hard time. What, what, what does it mean to be kicking against the pricks? That was a, a little stick with a, with a point on the end of it, with a, an iron, like a sort of a spear thing that the farmers would carry around behind the oxen. And if they wanted them to go left, they would just kind of poke them on this side and they'd turn to the left. They wanted to go right, they'd poke them on that side and you know, oxen being oxen, sometimes they were a little bit stubborn. Anybody know any animals that are stubborn? Anybody had any stubborn dogs that wouldn't do what you tried to train them to do? And so these oxen would push back against that, and it would jab right into their flesh. And that's what he was trying to tell Paul. He said, why are you kicking against? Why are you making this harder than it has to be? So the next verse. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Next verse. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of things that in which I have will appear unto thee. And I'm going to show you some stuff later, too. Next verse. <clears throat> Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, Unto whom now I send thee. I'm taking you out of the picture for a while, Paul, because I'm going to turn around and send you right back. Only you're not going to be the same man you were before. So the next verse. To, oh, now here's what Paul was sent to do. Here's what Paul said. I believe that the blindness that was put on Paul was sort of a, I guess maybe a word picture that was identifying the fact that Paul in his zeal was zealously blind to what God was trying to say. How many of us were blinded to our religious tradition before we came to truth? How many were, of us were blinded by our own our own uh, desires and, and will and, and our own want to do our own thing? And then one day God just, you know, you just remember that moment when, when, when the, the light came on and you said, wow, this stuff, this stuff is real. I really do need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I see it. Like that lady, I see it, I see it, I see it. Right? In a Bible study. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Who's the darkness? The devil, Satan, the enemy. Blindness and darkness. And from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. So Paul, I just believe, I'm going to speculate again. 
God used blindness on Paul to accentuate the point that, Paul, you're blind. You're blinded by your own ambition. You're blinded by your own religious tradition. You're blinded by things that are not necessarily bad. They're just not, there's more to this than what you think, Paul. And so the title of this message is God has us right where he wants us. God had Paul right where he wanted him. He didn't just, like I said before, he didn't just wake up one day and say, let me see, I think I'll mess with Paul. He didn't do that. God has, and that's the amazing thing about God, he can be directing his path and my path and your path and her path and her path all at the same time and not get confused. He knows the path that we're supposed to be on. The question in Paul's case was, when are you going to get on the path I've chosen for you, Paul? Because his religion only brought him so far. Amen? Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Exodus 2. 11 through 14, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went on to, uh, out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens and spied the Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he took this way and he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together and he said unto them, Oh, I'm sorry. And he said, uh, he said to him that did wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee prince and judge over us? Intended thou us to kill us, to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now here's Moses. He's trying to step into a role that he's not ready for yet. And so, just like Paul, God had to take Paul kind of out of the picture to get him away from all of this religious tradition, get him away from all the stuff that had caused him to be blind so that he could work on him and prepare him for what he really needed him to do. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was three years before Paul's ministry was really launched because God had him out in the wilderness. God was working on him. And so Moses was the same way. Here's a guy that's really supposed to be dead. Moses is supposed to be dead. He was supposed to be killed with all the other kids that were killed in that time. But God kept him through through circumstances and situations that God worked out. God kept him alive for a purpose and a reason. And he allowed him to be raised up in in the lap of luxury, if you will. He was raised in Egypt. He was raised in the Pharaoh's house as a half-brother to the Pharaoh's son who was going to be the king and so he had all the best clothes and all the best chariots and all everything he had was the best and here he was in this situation where something in him something in that hebrew heritage in him told him something was wrong with that egyptian doing that to one of his own but he was trying to step into that role before it was his time and so god in his wisdom took him out of his situation and took him to the back side of the desert. Sometimes God's got to take us to the back side of the desert. That's what it feels like. Because wh- why would he have to do that with Paul? Why would he have to do that with Moses? See, Moses, and 
growing up in that environment, he probably developed some attitudes, some some thinking, some mindset, some things that that just weren't compliant and compatible with the ways of God. And so God had to get these things out of him so that he could put some things in him that he could use that would bring glory to God. Because little did Moses know he was about to go right back where he came from, just like he told Paul, I'm taking you away from the Gentiles so I can send you right back to them. And so he took Moses away from the situation, got his mind right, and then he showed him a burning bush and said, now, come and see me. You're ready. I'm going to send you back there and you're going to. And what did Moses say? I'm a stutterer. I don't know if that's a good idea, God. I think Moses had a stuttering problem from birth. That's just my speculation. I'd say that. But, you know, we were singing that song about Jesus knows our every weakness. I'm going to take that a step further. God puts weaknesses in our life. And he leaves them there. You're not going to ever make that any stronger than it is. Why? What Paul even said, he prayed to the Lord three times for this infirmity, for this thing, this thorn in the flesh to leave him. And God said, no, no, no. I'm leaving that there because my grace is made perfect through your weakness. I need you to depend on me, Paul. Moses, I need you to depend on me to be the one to speak. You just go there with your staff and open your mouth, and I'll tell you what to say. And we all know the story about what happened. God used Moses to deliver. But what what was the unique thing about both of these men up to this point? They had to submit completely to God's will. Not my will. Not my way, God. It wasn't, it wasn't them at all. It was all God. Amen? God had Moses right where he wanted him, didn't he? He had him right where he wanted him. God was orchestrating the entire thing all the way through. And it was just a matter of Moses deciding, okay, God, I've been in charge long enough. I'm, I'm turning the reins over to you. When he did that, great things happened. The Red Sea was parted. Ten plagues. They were delivered out of Egypt. Not only were they delivered out of Egypt, but the Bible says they spoiled Egypt. They took all their gold, all their silver, all their all their expensive stuff with them. <laughs> you know what always amazes me in the Bible is that they willingly gave it. The Egyptians were like, here, take it. Get out of here. You're killing us. You're killing us. Get out of here. So God can turn somebody's, you mean to tell me God can tell somebody to give you something like that? Of course he can. You sure can. They don't even know why they're doing it. I don't know. God just told me to write a check and mail it to this address. Has that happened before? Absolutely. And that person that received that check in the mail was somebody that was just totally submitted to God. Couldn't understand why they were where they were. Felt like they wanted to quit. Felt like they wanted to just turn, just close the door and lock it and walk away. And God sent them a blessing and said, thank you for submitting to me. Here's a blessing. Amen. And so he became submitted to God so God could promote him. In the books, uh, in the book of Genesis, we're not going to go there, but Genesis chapters 37, 39, 40 talks about Joseph. We've all heard the story about Joseph in the coat of many colors and 
and he was the half brother of all these other uh, eleven brothers of his, and and he was his daddy's favorite. And his brothers hated him for that. They hated him for that. And his mother knitted him this coat of many colors. And so on top of his dad always fawning over him and, oh, he's my favorite son. And I've and all the other brothers were like, well, what's wrong with us? Aren't we your sons too? And so what happened? Joseph started having these dreams. He didn't understand them. Instead of just keeping his mouth shut, he had to go tell the dreams. And it was like being braggadocious and being kind of up in their face about it. And so they they schemed. They conspired to get rid of this little half-brother of theirs, and they did. And so up to that point, everything was peachy and wonderful in Joseph's life. Joseph didn't even know that God was getting ready to use him for something great beyond his wildest imagination. And Joseph was just like these other two men. Joseph was a nobody. He was essentially a nobody, right? If it hadn't have been for all the things that happened in his life, we'd never even know who he is. But he was a nobody, and God was fixing to make him somebody. And so he he gets thrown in the pit by his own brothers, and, and he thought, oh, man, this is bad. Well, it just went from bad to worse. He gets sold to some Midianites that are passing through. And his brothers kill a lamb and go tell dad, oh, he, he got killed by a wild beast. Then he goes into, town, into Egypt, and he gets sold as a slave. I mean, talk about going from bad to worse. But, you know, the Bible says, and you'd think he would have noticed this, but God was with him. And he had favor in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar made him like the head guy over all of his finances and everything. And then what happened? Temptation. This, his boss's wife tried to... Have an affair with him. He kept his integrity. He maintained his integrity and he said, no, no, that's not right. And he ran off and left his coat behind. She had a hold of his coat. and So when the, when the husband came home, she said, oh, she feigned. Oh, he tried to rape me and all this stuff. And so what happened to Joseph? He ended up in prison. Then when he thought he was going to get out of prison, he told the guys, he he. He was able to interpret the guy's dream. He said, don't forget about me. Oh, the guy said, I won't. I won't forget about you. Don't worry. I'll, I'll remember you. As soon as he got up there and got back in his position, what did he do? He forgot about him. It's like, man, what did I do to deserve this? God? <laughs> so there he is in the dungeon. And the Lord just happens to cause the king to have a dream. Just happens to do that. Right? That wasn't planned, was it? Of course it was. And who, who's the only person in the whole realm that can even tell about those dreams? The guy that's in prison. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer says, Oh, wait a minute. I knew I forgot about something. There's that guy. He told me about my dream. Get him. Get him, get him shaved up and cleaned up. Get him up here. And what happened in Joseph's life? He was elevated to second in command over all of Egypt. Did God know what he was doing? Because God knew he was getting ready to send them a seven-day, a seven-year famine. And he, 
But what was all that was happening to Joseph from the time he got thrown in the pit by his brothers to the time he was elevated to that position, what was God doing in his life? God had him right where he wanted him. God was working some things into him and working some things out of him so that he could use him and that Joseph wouldn't take the glory, so that he would give the glory to God. And oh, by the way, all of his brothers and, and his family and everybody got to come and, and he, he made sure they were taken care of and fed. So when you submit yourself, I'm starting to see a pattern here. When you submit yourself to God and say, not my will, God, your will be done. I'm not in charge anymore, God, you are. This seems like this blessings follow that. Did anybody notice that? And it's all about Complete submission to him. One more story. I don't want to, I want to be fair to the females in the room. We're going to talk about Esther. Amen. There's a book called Esther, right? The book of Esther. God can use anybody. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what your Heritage is. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you made. It doesn't matter what your attitude was before. God can still use you. He's got us right where he wants us, folks. And so in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Then Mordecai commanded uh, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews, for if, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance rise to the Jews from another place. If not you, it's going to be somebody. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go and gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. So Esther was a lady who uh, her parents died when she was young, and she was being raised by her uncle or cousin Mordecai. And so, you know, she she probably had a good reason to say, I mean, talk about being a nobody. You don't have any parents. I mean, you're being raised by a, a relative. Thank God your relative stood up, stepped up and took you. You know, and, and here's here's the situation where she was in this kind of this comfort zone like these other people I've been talking about. And, and God suddenly comes in like all of a sudden he just decided to do this, right? And he takes her out of her comfort zone. And, and, you know, there's all these other ladies in, in the village and in the, in the area that, that go before the king, but God chooses her. God causes the king to choose her. Why? Because he recognized something in her that she didn't see in herself. And it came down to this situation right here where it was going to be a matter of whether her whole entire nation of people was going to be destroyed because of one man. God wasn't surprised by Haman the Agagite. He knew he was there, all right? And I'm not going to go into the whole depth of it, but if 
Israel had done what they were supposed to way back somewhere, there wouldn't have been a Haman the Agagite. Because he came out of a tribe of some people that were supposed to be killed off if they had done what God told them. But here he was. So God was, you know, God's always going to take care of his people. And he'll use human agency, if I can put it that way. He, God could have just done it without human involvement. But in every one of these cases, and in many more in the Bible, God needed and required human involvement. He wants us to give up our will so that we can do his will. Because he's not going to take away our will, is he? He gave us a will. That's a blessing and a curse at the same time. <laughs> it is. Because your will can be the very thing that gets in the way of you doing what God wants you to do. I don't want to do that. That's not comfortable. I don't like that. What do you mean I have to move to Wisconsin? What? what well, I got to move away from my family and what? What do you mean? Anybody ever besides me ever felt that way? Why am I here, God? And God just says, I got you right where I want you. You are right where you need to be. Not only physically and and geographically, but God has us right where he wants us in our life. You think because all these things are going on in your life and all these circumstances and oh, woe is me and I'm, my parents died and oh, woe is me. I'm so, I'm so, oh, poor me. My dad used to give me grief about don't, don't be running around saying oh, poor me. But God has a purpose for us. He has a reason for our being here. It's not just to take up space on a pew in a church. God had Esther right where he wanted her. He took a nobody and made her a somebody. We had never heard about Esther. She hadn't have been submitted to the will of God and, and realized her place and said, I got to do this even if I got to die. No different than the, the Hebrew children that went into the fiery furnace. They said, if our God's able, he will. If he won't, so be it. We're not going to bow. And Esther had to decide, I'm going to, I'm going to break the rules of this world and step before the king anyway, because it's about my people. It's not just about me. And Mordecai was right. If you don't, you're going to die too. Got nothing to lose. If I die, I die, she said. So, why are we talking about all of this? Because it's, it's coming down to this. We as human beings hate to admit that we're wrong. Paul didn't want to admit that he was wrong. Moses, he just wanted to stay out there with the sheep. He was just, and God took him again out of his comfort zone and said, no, 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 you're not going to do sheep the rest of your life. You're going to lead my people. And that's what he told Paul. He said, I'm going to take you and turn your life around from persecuting people to you being the one being persecuted. And he, Paul went through, literally went through hell the rest of his life for the sake of the gospel. And he was willing to submit totally, completely, and 100% without hesitation to submit his entire will and his entire desires unto God. Paul didn't make any more decisions about himself on his own anymore. He listened to the voice of God and listened to what God said. 
If he went somewhere, it's because God told him to go there. If he said something, it was because God told him to say it. And he's the same God, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. These stories that I'm, that we're talking about in the Bible are not just, God didn't stop doing that. He still does that today. I was reading a story recently about a, a mafia guy that now travels the country and talks about the Lord and talks about the things of God and, but he also talks about his life as a mob. He was like fourth in line under John Gotti in New York and he was taking people out, literally killing them and something happened. Just like these other people, just like Joseph, he had to do some prison terms and through certain, certain, circumstances and situations, you think God wasn't in this? He found himself in a place where he was faced with making a decision to walk away from the mafia and turn to God. And nobody left the mafia and lived. Nobody. That was the rule. But he's still living today. You tell me that there's not Damascus Road experiences in in our world today? I could I could probably line people up here for the next three or four hours. I could tell you stories about, you know, I was strung out on drugs. I was I was an alcoholic. I was this. I was that. But here I am today. God took me out of that miry clay. He, he and I submitted myself to Him at an altar of repentance, and God turned my life and has used me for His glory ever since. There's probably testimony upon testimony, probably right here in this room. And so God needs us to admit we're wrong, especially when we have as much time and effort invested in the thing as Paul did. Now, Paul had to lay a whole lot of stuff down. I mean, the hardest part was saying, I'm wrong. That's the hardest part of us sometimes. Praise God. God's going to bring us to a turning point in our life. And the key is submitting to his will. Number one, God needs human agency. Number two, God needs total and complete submission to his will. That's when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. What did he tell them? Our father, acknowledge who he is, which art in heaven. Not only is he in heaven, but he's in the heaven of heavens. And the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. So God's everywhere. He's, he's in this room right now. And then was the next thing say? He says, thy kingdom come. This is, he's telling them to pray this. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done, God, on this earth as it's already been done in heaven. So wait, are you telling me that God already knows the end of our life? He already knows what we're supposed to do. He's not going to put his thumb in our back and force us to do what he wants us to do with our life. If we decide we're going to go this way, he's going to say, okay, fine. And look at Paul. He tried and tried and tried to get a hold of Paul. And what happened? He finally had to use drastic measures. If God wants to use you, he'll, he will, he'll do things. He'll, he'll cause things to happen in your life. Amen? God has us right where he wants us today. 
He wants us and requires us to give him everything. Just like the potter and the clay. We're, we're just on the wheel. We're just the clay on the wheel. He's the one turning the wheel. He's the one forming the clay into molding it and making it to be what he wants it to be. And we just have to be pliable like that clay and just let him work in our life. You're not going to understand it. He never said we'd understand it. Well, we do sing a song that says we'll understand it better by and by. You know, that, that, they, the, these people in the Old Testament, they didn't have that scripture in Romans 8.28 that says, for we know that all things work together for good. They didn't have that to turn to. But you know, they were living that. And I thought about that scripture. Paul wrote that, and I believe Paul wrote that after a whole lot of stuff he went through. And he learned by his experiences so that he could sit down and write words like that. For we know. I've learned through all the stuff I've been through that all things are working together for my good and for his good. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Even Jesus had to find a place of submission to God's will. Right? He had to go to that place and he had to pray. And he prayed three times. What did he pray? But Well, but before that, what did he pray? If there's any way, Father, that this cup could pass from me, is there any way, God, that you can see your way around having to do it this way? So imagine that. You know you've got to go to the cross, but in your flesh you don't want to go to the cross because it's going to hurt. But in your, at the same time, you know that you are him and you've got to do it. So even in Jesus' flesh, he tried to get out of it. And he had to submit his own will as he, as a man on this earth, to the will of his Father. Because what did he tell everybody everywhere he went? I don't do this because I want to do it. I do it because my Father's telling me to do it. I say this because my Father's telling me to say this. I don't do anything without my Father directing me. And so he, he did at the end say, what did he say? Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. Oh, if we could take that attitude today with the Lord. Let's all stand in this place. You know, we are his bride, and he is our bridegroom. He's not out to get us. He's not out to hurt us. But he does have us right where he wants us if we'll just realize that and just submit to it. That's the hardest part, and yet at the same time, it's the easiest thing to do. Once you do it, you're you're like, why didn't I submit before? Why did I fight against it? Why did I kick against the pricks? Why did I keep jabbing myself with that spear? Why did I push against God's will when all he really wanted to do was use me for his glory? Amen. Sister Parker, if you could play that song. It's not just a Wednesday and a Sunday thing. God has us on his radar. He's got us right where he wants us. We just have to decide that that's that's what it is and follow that. So you can use me. I give myself away. Like that bride that gives herself away at that wedding. We have to give ourselves away.